Good morning, everybody. Great to see you guys today. I love coming in on Sundays and seeing your bright, smiling faces. That means you had to actually smile at me at some point. But thank you so much for being here. If you're new with us, my name is Evan. I'm on staff here at Epic. And you've caught us right toward the end of a series that we've called Anchored. We've been looking at this idea that we hit these seasons of life where things don't go real well, right? We hit these stormy times in life and we try to anchor ourselves to some very specific points like relationships and finances and jobs and things we feel are going to hold up under the pressure. And inevitably what happens is those things that we anchor ourselves to fall apart. Relationships disappear, jobs go away, finances hit the tank. And those things we thought we could depend on when it wasn't going well, just absolutely go away. And we're not sure what to do next. We get left drifting in these storms. So we've been studying the book or the letter of Hebrews together. It's a letter written to some new Christians right as they were beginning to learn what it meant to be a Christ follower. They were originally Jews, right? The, the, the religion or the beliefs of the Old Testament. And then they learn about Jesus. They hear what he did for them. And they said, well, I want a piece of that. I'm totally on board with that. And they become Christ followers. And then persecution happens, right? Their world really turns upside down. Rome comes after them. Their friends and their family come after them. And they're not real sure what to do next because the stuff they really thought they could believe in just doesn't help them anymore. And so we've been looking at the fact that the writer of Hebrews says there's only one anchor that gets you through those stormy times, and that's Jesus. And here's who Jesus is. Here's what he says he will do for you. Here's how you can hold on to him. And that's what our anchor looks like in those storms. And this week, we come to Hebrews chapter 11, one of my favorite books or chapters in the Bible. And we get to see this concept of faith. The writer says, look, this is what anchors you to God. Now, we use the term faith in a lot of different ways in our culture. We use it to talk about um, things like a blind leap of faith, like that beginning video. Have you ever been told, look, you just need to jump. You need to take that leap of faith. There's this idea that we just had to believe no matter what. We had to jump, we had to go for it, even if we don't know what's going to catch us. Or maybe we think there might be something there, but we have no idea how soft the landing is going to be. And so we have this concept of a leap of faith, this blind trust in something we don't understand or know. Or we use the word faith to, to help express this idea of a collection of doctrine or beliefs or traditions or theology, like the Christian faith, the Jewish faith. And we use it kind of in this open-ended way to talk about all these different things that we can and do believe in. And particularly in Western culture, faith carries this idea of knowing that God or a God exists knowing that he might step in and do something. Maybe he has the ability to do it, but I'm really not sure that he will. And we have this kind of loose concept of what faith is, and it's really hard to feel anchored because of that, because it's so open-ended, it's so loose. And so the writer spends an entire chapter for us, chapter 11, on the concept of faith and what this looks like in our lives. And that's how important it is. So we're gonna dig into that today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're gonna begin right in the very first verse. We get this great definition of faith. 
Now, this was a Bible verse that I memorized real early on in my life because young Evan needed to be right in everything. And so in Bible class, when a teacher would say, so what's faith? I got that. I know what faith is because it says so right here. And I would be able to just rattle that off. I had to be right. And so one of the reasons I loved this verse is because it made me right. So you're going to even get it in, <laughs> you're going to get it in the version that I learned it in because this is the voice I hear in my head all the time when I hear, what is faith? Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So the writer says faith has two parts. It's being sure of what we hope for. It's being convinced of things we can't see, of the unseen things around us. That's the shortest message I've ever had to give at Epic. You guys have a great Sunday. <laughs> I can't let you out quite this early because the kids will be really mad if I cut them off before they hit the good part of their message. So you got to stick with me just a little bit longer. The writer doesn't stop there either. The writer goes on because they understand, look, I can give you a definition and it's a really beautiful definition, but it's still very open-ended. What do we hope in? What can we trust? What is the unseen thing that we can be sure of? And so the author goes on and gives us example after example after example of what faith looks like practically in people's lives. This is the chapter that if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard is called the hall of faith, right? It's just list after list after list of people who showed faith in their lives and what happened because of it. And what the author is doing, going back all the way to his audience's history, the very beginning of it, and saying, look at what's happened as they've gone along, and look at how that faith has led them to where they are now. Now, on the other side of things, I'm not going to stop here, but I'm not going to go through every example, or we'll be here until like four o'clock this afternoon, and someone will come pull me off this stage. So I've picked one example this morning, and I've picked it because this is somebody that I really connect with, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. So Hebrews 11, beginning in verse eight. Now it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac, that's Abraham's son, and Jacob, that's Abraham's grandson, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. So if you want all of Abraham's story, go back and start reading in Genesis chapter 12. We're not going to go all the way back there, but I'm going to give you just a little nugget so you kind of know who Abraham is. Abraham was a fairly wealthy guy living in the land of Ur. You don't care where he lived, but that's what it says. So I love the word Ur. Um, Abraham had set himself up well. God had blessed him because he was a man who followed God. And so he was very wealthy. He had a lot of livestock. He had a large household. He and his wife couldn't have kids. His wife was barren. And so he and Sarah just lived this great life of blessing. He had some other family. He had his nephew, Lot, who lived nearby. And Lot had a family, and he was also a fairly wealthy man. So together, Abraham was doing fairly well. And at 75 years old, God shows up and tells Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pack up everything, leave everyone you know, leave the land that you know, leave everything behind and go. 
I'm not going to tell you where. I'll show you as you go along. Just pick up and go. And to Abraham's credit, that's exactly what he did. He picks up all of his stuff. He picks up his household. He picks up his nephew and his nephew's family. They pick up everything and they go. And God takes them to the land of Canaan. See, faith involves confident action in accordance to what God says. It's confidently following in what we feel God tells us to do, in following his instructions. That's what active faith looks like. It's not a passive thing. It's an action. It's something that we do because God told us to do it. So I told you that I connect with Abraham. The reason I picked his story is because part of my story coincides pretty closely with his. In 2005, I was up in Delaware, which is a tiny little state nobody knows about, but banks love up in the Northeast because there are no sales tax at all. So all your banks, that's where most of their headquarters are. Um, And I was set up, not in a great job, but for my age, a good job. I had a dinky little apartment with a good buddy of mine, but we really enjoyed it. Um, I was dating my now wife, Carla, and I was enjoying life. And in the summer of 2005, um, well, just before the summer of 2005, my parents had moved down here a couple years before, and they had told me a couple times, hey, why don't you come down with us? You'll be in your family again. Um, maybe we can find you a job. We can figure something out. And I said, look, I have no interest in moving to Florida. I really don't want to live there. You see how well that worked out for me. So... Summer of 2005, and I can still remember this like it happened last night. Two o'clock in the morning, I wake up, just sit up straight in bed, and I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, 100%, I have to move to Florida. I knew in my heart. Now, I don't feel like I heard the voice of God. I don't think that I had a vision or a dream, but I knew in my spirit, the spirit of God was telling me, you have to move to Florida. And I said, no, (laughs) I'm not moving to Florida. And God said, yes, you have to move to Florida. God, I don't have a job. I don't have a place to live. I've been out for several years on my own. I really don't want to go back and live with my parents again. I don't want to be one of those millennials. I would really like to stay on my own. And God said, no, you need to move to Florida. So I sat on that for just a little bit. And then I called my parents and I said, this is sort of what I'm thinking. This is what I think I'm hearing from God. I don't know what to do with this. And they said, well, look, we can't give you an answer, but why don't you talk to the pastor of the church we're going at? They were settled in a little church here um, at the time. And so I called him. And he said, well, that's, that's interesting. I don't know what to tell you because I can't promise you a job. I can't promise you a position. But if you feel like God's telling you to do this, you need to do it. And once you come down, maybe we can talk about setting you up with something. I just, I really don't know what's going to happen. So that kind of felt like a dead end. I didn't know what to do with that. So I hung up. And the one thing that he did really well for me was he gave me this great advice. Before we hang up, he said, here's what you need to do. If you think God is telling you to do this, you need to find a way to confirm that this is what God is telling you to do. And you do that in two ways. You confirm it in scripture and you confirm it through the wise counsel of other God-fearing people. And so I took that to heart. So I really thought maybe I could get out of this because I figured there's no way this tells me Evan has to move to Florida. So I read my Bible in Genesis chapter 12, and I watch Abraham pick up with everything he has and go somewhere he doesn't even know. At least God gave me a direction and a state. <laughs> so 
that was that. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, so maybe I do need to do this, but maybe I can still get out of this. And I went and talked to my mentor, a great friend of mine up north who had really helped me through a lot, was teaching me a lot. And as we sit and we talked and I told him all this, I was going through, he said, look, I can't give you an answer, but I can pray with you. And we can search this out together. And then you need to do what you feel God is telling you to do. And as we sat and we prayed over a little bit of time, we really figured out, this is what God wants me to do. And so July 4th, actually, um, July 4th weekend, 2005, I told Carla, by the way, I've got to move to Florida. <laughs> Bye. And I packed up like the 12 belongings I had out of the apartment, put in a U-Haul, and I drove down to Florida without a job, without a place of my own to live, without a plan, without knowing what to do, just absolutely sure this is what God asked me to do. Faith involves confident action in what God tells us to do, following his instructions. Now, it doesn't end with that. Because see, in Abraham's story, he gives him instructions and then he tells him something else. He tells Abraham, he says, look, if you follow my instructions, this is what's gonna happen because of it. And he made him a promise. He said, I will give you land. I will give you a son. And that son will give you a nation. You will become the father of an entire nation. And Abraham decided to take action. Faith is action taken in response to an unseen God and his promises. I wasn't promised a whole lot when I came to Florida. I didn't feel like, okay, God's promised me a job and he's promised me a position in a church somewhere or another position in some great company. I don't feel like he's promised me, like I'm going to have this great place to go. But I have promises to hold on to from God. Scripture is very clear that God will provide for us. And time and time and time again, I have seen that promise play out. In moments when I knew I couldn't pay bills, when I knew I couldn't make a checkbook balance out correctly that month and come out where I wasn't owing somebody something, and God provided. God provided a job. He provided me an opportunity to learn what it meant to do ministry on a regular basis in a way that I had never had the opportunity to do before. God provided me with amazing parents who allowed their 20-something-year-old son to move back in for a couple of years until I figured out what was next. God provided me with a community very quickly. God provides. It's a promise that we can hold on to. It might not be the provision we're expecting. It's not like I came down to a boat and a great car and a whole lot of things I was expecting. No, our provision is from God in his time and in his way, but he promises to provide. God promises that we will have life more abundant. Now that's an odd phrase, but he promises this. It means that we will live a satisfying life. Now that's satisfying in God's terms and not ours. My picture of a satisfying life is probably a little different than the picture that God has for us. But God promises if we follow his instructions, if we go down the path that he has for us, when we are done, we will have lived a very satisfying life. In the letter of John in the New Testament, Jesus says, I promise 
that you will have struggles, that you will have difficulties, that you will face persecution, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He promises that there is an eternal hope to hold on to. When everything else on this temporary world goes sideways and we can't figure it out, God says, it doesn't matter because you have an eternal hope to hang on to. Jesus made a way for us as long as we follow him and we choose to say, yes, you are my savior. You are the way I have a relationship with God that we have an eternal moment with God. We have forever in his presence, never separated from our creator. That's what we have to hold on to. That is the hope that we can put our confidence in. And that puts anything we deal with on this earth into some great perspective because nothing here can compare to what God has for us. And so we act in response to the promises of God. As we read these examples, as we watch people react to God's instructions and God's promises, it's really easy to be intimidated by the list. See, this list, as I said, goes all the way back to the beginning of their history. And so we go back to creation and then we go to the first man, Adam. And then we go into all of these people who we would see as giants of faith, as heroes of faith, as perfect examples of faith. And we go, I can't live up to that. I can't do what they did. We've got people in here like Noah. Noah is the guy who built the big boat, could have the animals into it. He tells everybody, guys, guess what? It's gonna flood, it's going to rain. No one had ever seen rain before this. And so Noah is spouting gibberish to everybody. And he follows through. And God follows through on his promise and floods the world and protects Noah and his family. We have people like Abraham who pick up and just go with the instructions of God. We have Moses. Moses takes all of Israel out of captivity and leads them for 40 years through the wilderness until they are able to enter the promised land. We've got David, King David. We know him as the man after God's own heart. These are the kinds of people in this list. So it's super easy to be intimidated by this list. But as the original audience is reading this, they're remembering that these people are not perfect. They never were. These are people just like you and me. Those people, even though they're put aside as look at what they did because of God, they fell short. They messed up. They did the wrong things just like we do. Noah. Noah watches this whole thing unfold, watches God literally protect his family, literally make them the only beings left on this earth. And then he gets done with everything. And within the next couple of years ends up being a drunk who lays around naked in his tent and gets himself in a whole lot of trouble right after he had watched God do the things that he did. We have Abraham. Abraham lied about who his wife was on a regular basis because Sarah was apparently a beautiful woman. And as Abraham traveled from 
kingdom to kingdom to kingdom, he was worried a king would look and go, oh, she's really pretty. I'll kill off her husband and then she can be my wife. So Abram says, this is my sister. So just if you could just let her be, I want to protect her. Isaac, his son, does the exact same thing. Learned it really well from his dad. Um, Jacob, Abraham's grandson, is known as the deceiver, right? This guy lied about anything he could to get a leg up and to better his position in the world. Moses, the guy who takes everybody out of Egypt, he was a murderer. David, that man after God's own heart, was a murderer and an adulterer as a king, as all of Israel watched him. These are the examples of our heroes of faith. Because faith isn't dependent on us. Faith involves God working extraordinary miracles in the lives of ordinary people. You and me. God uses us. God doesn't depend on it being because of us. And this is huge. Because when we say, I can't do what they did, then we're making it about us. When I say, there's no way I can stand up to what they did, there's no way I can follow in their footsteps, there's no way I'll be able to do it, then I'm telling God, it's all about me. And God says, you're not the one who does this. I do it. I do it through you. You get to be a part of it. See, these are heroes, not because they are perfect, but because they chose to work with God in his perfect work. It is because they said yes that they're in this list, not because they were amazing people, not because they were perfect people, just because they said yes. Now, the writer says, as we continue in this chapter, that faith produces results. When we say yes, something happens. God does amazing, miraculous things. In verse 32, we read, now how much more do I need to say? The writer's wrapping up their letter here. It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, all the prophets, but by faith, not on their own, by faith. And here are the results. These people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, received what God had promised them, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. So the writer says, look, there are times in our lives where we choose to say yes to God when we put our faith to action and there are immediate, positive, amazing, miraculous results that we can actually see happen. It changes our lives. It changes our world. It changes the world around us. And we're bolstered by that. And sometimes that's what gets us through those storms. But the reality of faith is that faith has a variety of earthly outcomes. Sometimes it happens immediately. Sometimes it's a positive thing. There are times in our lives where the outcomes of our faith are pushed way down the timeline. They're delayed more than we would probably want them to be and definitely more than we expect. With Abraham, at 75, God made him this promise. 25 years later, 
At 100 years old, Abraham and Sarah finally give birth to their promised son, Isaac. 25 years. And I need to be clear here, Abraham did exactly what God said to do without hesitation. He acted and he went and we think, well, if I do what God says, obviously the good stuff's gonna be right there. It's not always that way. It's in God's time, not in our time. Sometimes those results are delayed, weeks, months, years, decades, sometimes beyond our lifetime. There are examples in this list of people who never got to see the results of their act of faith, but someone else did. Someone further down the line did. In God's time, that thing happened. So sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes it's delayed. The author goes on and says, sometimes it's not the results that we want or that we expect. Continuing in verse 35, but others were tortured refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, their backs were cut open with whips, others chained in prison, some died by stoning, some sawed in half, others killed by the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. The writer of Hebrews, ever the optimist, reminds us sometimes the results of our faith are not what we would consider positive. Sometimes they're not what we want at all, but our faith is not in what is here. Our faith is not based in what we see happen. Our faith is in God and his eternal hope. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. See, these folks knew it doesn't matter what happens to me here. What matters is that I am promised an eternal relationship with my God. And so I'm gonna do what he says, no matter what it looks like here on earth. That is faith in action. That's what it looks like to follow God and to do something with it. Faith isn't a blind leap. Faith isn't just jumping into the unknown because we have an example right here of God's entire history. And we know that he doesn't fall short. He never misses a promise. He never backs away. He always comes through. We have that history with God if we stop and look at it. And if not, someone we know probably does. Faith isn't a blind leap. Faith isn't trust in the good things that happen in our lives because God is with us, because God is always with us no matter what. And if it's just based on the good things and the blessings and the look at the great job and the car and the finances and the bank account, when all of that goes away, because it most likely will, all of a sudden, we have nothing to anchor ourselves to. So tr our faith is not in the good things God does in our lives. Faith is not a collection of beliefs. It's not a set of traditions. It's not the things that we do. Faith is in a living, breathing, 
loving God when those habits and those traditions and those old rules get shaken because we learn more about who Jesus is and our faith is in those, we're on rocky ground. So our faith that causes us to do something, that prompts us to take action is in God. It's not passive. It's a very active thing. Faith is confidence that results in action carried out in response to the instructions and promises of God. It's a personal decision that I'm gonna do what God says, no matter what those outcomes look like, because God told me to, because I believe that no matter what, he has promised me something eternal. And I wanna be part of what he's doing. And faith, faith is the anchor that gives us confidence that God will help us weather absolutely any storm. Now, how do we weather the storm? How do we grow our faith so that we can follow what God has for us? How do we decide to build ourselves up so that we can take that next step? The most important thing that we can do is get to know God and to get to know his instructions, his will for us. If we don't know who God is, if we don't know what he wants in our lives, if we don't know his instructions, it's really hard to take that next step. So we need to spend time with God. We need to spend regular, consistent time with God. We need to carve out times in our daily life where it's just us and him. And we spend time in prayer, and we spend time in quiet listening for his voice. Now, if you have never done this before, it's the most awkward thing you can ever do because you find like 10 minutes and you stare at a wall and you don't know what to do or what to say or what this is supposed to look like. But over time, as you do it more and more and more, it goes from being awkward and not sure what to do to being this precious, amazing moment of each day where we get to spend time with our heavenly father. And we get to listen for what he wants in our lives, not from us, but for us. And we get to grow with him. So we need to spend time with God. We need to spend time reading this, reading this Bible. There is so much in here that tells us about who God is. There is so much in here involving like a, blu a blueprint for life, instructions that just help us make it through the day to day. If you've read it once or twice or a dozen times, let me tell you, you need to keep reading it. You can never get enough of this. That story of Abraham I had probably read and or heard it, I don't know, 20 or 30 times by the summer of 2005 because the fact that I grew up in a church where this story was taught over and over and over again. I grew up in a church that encouraged Bible reading. And so I knew the story. But in July of 2005, that story took on entirely new life for me. And so we never wanna put this down. We want to spend time learning about this God who loves us and learning about the blueprint he has for us, the instructions he has for us. And one other way that we grow our faith 
And I know we talk about this a lot. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but this is important, is that we need to spend time with other believers and not just the hour on Sunday morning. We need to cultivate relationships. We need to be intentional about spending time with other believers because there are times in our lives where we won't hear anything but a voice who's gone through what we have been through. We need somebody to tell us, I'm on the other side of what you're doing right now. And so you can do it too. We need somebody alongside of us to encourage us, to tell us that maybe we misstepped a little bit and we need to be ready to hear that, yeah, maybe I need to go in another direction in order to go with God. We need to be ready to invest in other people. So spend time with God, spend time in the word, spend time with each other. That's how we get to build faith. This is how we grow that thing inside of us that wants to do what God has for us. Faith becomes this personal commitment to follow, observe, and obey the words of God, the instructions of God. It becomes something we want to do inside of us. And that's the thing that anchors us through the storm. That's what helps us hold on to God so that no matter what life around us looks like and the chaos and the wind and the waves, we know that we have hope in something beyond this and God will get us to the other side. Sometimes we enter those storms and we're already strong and we're good to go and we've got that faith that we need and we just need to weather it. Sometimes the storms that we end up running into in life are there to help us grow the faith that we need to get through the storm. I know that sounds a little backwards, but here's what I mean by that. There have been times in my lives, more than I care to admit, that I knew I could do something on my own. I can figure out how to pay that bill. I can figure out how to make that happen. I can figure out how to make that work at my office. I can figure out how to fix that relationship. I can figure it out. I can figure it out. And I relied on myself. And then something else happened. A storm came through and I couldn't take any more steps on my own. God would lay me bare and I'd have to say, okay, I can't do this. I have to look to him. I have to do what he is asking. I have to follow his path and then he'll take care of it. Sometimes the storms in our lives help us remember we need to rely on God. We can't do this. And sometimes these storms are there for the benefit of others. There are times we go through something so that five, 10, 15 years down the road, we can watch somebody else go through it and say, I've been there. And I can tell you there is a bright ending to it. I can tell you, you will get through this. It's not fun. It's not easy. You're not going to like it, but you will come out on the other side. And we can be there for them and we can pray for them. We can encourage them, probably not give them answers, but we can at least support them. Sometimes people need to watch us struggle and do our best, even in the struggle to do what God says, to go, oh, that's what it looks like to live by faith. It's not about them, it's about God. What storm are you in right now that you need to trust God for the next step. You know, I can't take another one without some help. I don't know what the next step even looks like. I don't know how to make this happen. I don't know how to fix this. What storm are you going through? You need to say, God, 
I need you to step in. I'm gonna believe that you have this figured out and just show me the next step and I will do it. What storm are you in where you're sure there is no other side? And God says, no, no, I have a promise for you. And it's better than anything you could possibly imagine. Just trust me. Just trust me and come on, take that step. The worship team's gonna come out in a minute. We're gonna sing a final song together. And as we do, I wanna encourage you to use this song as a prayer, asking God for faith. Ask God, how do I get through this storm? What is my next step? And give me faith to take action. Let's all stand together, we'll pray, and then we'll sing this final song. God, faith is such a difficult thing because a lot of times we don't get to see the end. We don't know how the story is written here on earth, but God, I believe without a doubt that you write that story. And God, we just need to trust and to follow. But God, in the moments of real life, that is really difficult. So Father, I pray that no matter what the storms look like, that we would look to you for our next step and that we would be bold and confident and willing to step out and do what you are asking us to do in order to get through that storm, even if it doesn't make sense to us, even if we're not sure what those results look like. Father God, speak to our hearts today. Show us what's next. In Jesus' name, amen. Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank you, Father, that you speak to us, that you give us direction and guidance. And I pray, Father, that no matter what that storm is in our lives, that we would look to you and be ready to take a next step. Give us instructions, Father God, and help us to have the strength to follow them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Have an amazing 4th of July weekend. We'll see you all next Sunday. Take care.